You're listening to the BFox and B Frank show. Another loaded episode this week. We are finished with the college football regular season and championship week. So we'll start there. Uh, we have our playoff. Um, but first, let's talk about how we got there. Uh, going over some of the big championship games from last week, starting at the uh, top of the alphabets, Pitt-Wake Forest, the game that everyone expected to see, was pretty much all Pitt. And I, I think the defining moment from this game came very early on with uh, Kenny Pickett's fake slide that led into a long touchdown run, and uh, Pitt really didn't look back from that. Yeah, that changed the game completely. And, you know, in a battle of offenses, one was clearly the better of the two. Um, tough tough day for Sam Hartman, um, but a, a really good season overall. So it's it's tough to feel bad. And Dave Clawson is such a likable guy, too. I mean, I, I wouldn't say Narduzzi is not likable, but I think they're, they're both up there as guys that you're like, ah, oh, you know, you, you see the press conference and you're like, I wish both both teams could have won, kind of. Because it's a meaningless game in the grand scheme of things. But for each of their programs, it means so much. But yeah, credit, credit to Pitt. Kenny Pickett continues to do Kenny Pickett things as he elevates his draft stock higher and higher. Fake slide, obviously, is going to bring in a lot of controversy, as we've seen on Twitter and elsewhere. But it's a heady play. Until they, until they get rid of it, it's a heady play. Yeah, I saw a lot of like linebackers and defensive backs, like former ones, being mad mad on Twitter.com as people are wont to do. But also like just watching that, I it was uh it's kind of a cringe moment because I, I just imagine myself trying to do that and dislocating my knee in like six <laughs> places. Um so I mean that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. I don't think we're about to be hit with an epidemic of this. I think every once in a while, um, right. an athletic quarterback doing it, it's not really the end of the world. Um, but yeah, Pitt's defense came to play as well. Four picks, returned one for a touchdown. Um, really a good way to separate yourself from another very good offense. Um, but yeah, this is a, it's a big one for Narduzzi. Um, kind of been laboring at Pitt for a while. Um, I think these were the two teams in the preseason that we called most mediocre because um, Pitt's always right around seven and five, six and six. Uh, Wake Forest much the same, but in definitely a down year for the conference, disappointing seasons from Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, were able to take advantage. So cannot fault them for that. Credit to us there on the mediocre call as well. It's called bulletin board material. Look it up. <laughs> In the American, Cincinnati had one game to win to presumably finally get into the playoff. They took care of business, beating Houston 35-20, three touchdowns for Desmond Ritter, two touchdowns for Jerome Ford, and finally, Cincinnati has the monkey off its back. It is in the playoff, but in this game, taking care of a a very good Houston team that, again, came into this on an 11-game winning streak and was a much more comfortable performance than... I think Cincinnati had shown against some of the lesser competition in the American. So it's very good to see the Bearcats rise to the occasion. Big time. Run game looked awesome for Cincinnati. Defense especially was very good. 40 minutes and 19 seconds is how long Pitt had time of possession and had the ball in this game. Only allowed 22 first downs, which is mind-boggling when you look at that number. Um, five of 
15 on third down were the Cougars and 73 plays to 45 defense able to hold strong for Cincinnati offense made some plays, but not nearly enough. They'll need to work on that obviously as they head into the playoff, but so spoiler alert as they head into the playoff, but all you can, they did all you can ask for in that uh, American title game. In the big 12, Oklahoma State might have blown a a great chance to uh, to make the playoff, but um, we'll never know because Desmond Jackson was stopped just short of the goal line on fourth down. A remarkably great goal line stand at the end by Baylor's defense to hold off Oklahoma State twenty one sixteen. I mean, great job all season by by both coaching staffs. Dave Aranda has done a great job in a couple seasons in Waco and. Uh, now his reward is a Big 12 championship. And even though the, the Bears came into the day, no chance to make the college football playoff anyway. Um, this is a great um, crowning achievement to what's been a great season for Baylor. Yes, it has. And uh, it's it's ironic that the Big 12, known for its high-flash, high-powered offenses, comes down to a defensive game between Baylor and Oklahoma State of all teams. And really... Incredible stop there on on the goal line to win that game. It it was just a few inches short of being the Michael Penix Penn State play um, from last season, and we all know how that went for Indiana and Penn State respectively in their years. Obviously, this comes at the end. Would have been a nice, would have been an incredible iconic moment in Oklahoma State history if you can hit that pylon and it pushes them into the playoff, but. Yeah, credit to Baylor and Dave Aranda. Like, he did not have an easy job going there. And you can say, sure, it, it Baylor football had been in a worse place. That's very easy to say, but it still wasn't near the, uh, you know, upper levels that we had seen over the past decade or so. And he had a, a real rebuild job on his hands. And to be able to turn it around like this so quickly is is very important. And I think the biggest story there, one of the biggest stories from this game too, is just like the mediocrity of Spencer Sanders throughout this year. He really held this team back offensively. And if it weren't for the run game, um, picking up the slack and the defense playing as well as they did, Oklahoma State's probably close to 500, maybe just slightly over. Yeah, having Jim Knowles in that defense uh, made – all the difference in the world this year because, yeah, it was not your typical Mason Rudolph-led offense at Oklahoma State. Um, I mean, he was, he was pretty poor in this game. Four interceptions, was outplayed by a backup quarterback, Blake Shapin, starting again for Jerry Bohannon, um, Baylor, but played that role seamlessly. Didn't need to throw for too many yards. Um, kept it pretty safe, but ended up throwing for three touchdowns and was enough to win the game. But for Oklahoma State, this is just kind of a recurring theme of sorts. Yes, they finally did get the uh, the monkey off their bat- back a bit with uh, winning Bedlam this year, but they're still coming up just short of, you know, whatever the biggest accomplishment in their season would have been. Um, just short of, of winning the Big 12. I mean, who's to say that they wouldn't have been put in over Cincinnati? Um, I think that was a real, real possibility if they ended up winning. Um, I wouldn't dare, knowing the committee. I would but, not say that. But they, they come up just short of that as well. Um, so it's, 
you know, as, as good as Oklahoma State is every year, it does seem like the seasons consistently ends um, with an extremely bitter pill to swallow. They at least get a fun bowl game, though. I'm excited about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that should be fun against Notre Dame. Certainly the the most fun out of the non-playoff games. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something to to hang up in the trophy case. Big Ten uh, was pretty non-competitive. Uh, Michigan kept rolling. Iowa kept being the team that we thought they were. We knew they were offensively. Um, and any kind of conversations in the week leading up about a potential letdown from Michigan, they answered that pretty quickly and just kept running the ball extremely effectively. Yeah. Well-deserved for Michigan. I mean, to be able to put together this type of performance in the Big Ten title game, um, really overcome that that tough loss to Michigan State where they sh- honestly should have won that game, as, as we talked about a few weeks ago. You're looking at a perfect season right now, and it may not have been pretty at times, but that, I I mean, I think that's how Michigan has to win these football games. And it's, it's going to be a lot of old school, run the ball, play defense, and so it's going to going to be a a fun game to see, um, pretty similar styles in the playoff. So I I'm intrigued, but yeah, this unfortunate for Iowa because they had a good season, not the best way for the regular season to end. But if I can't, I don't want to say they're not deserving of being the Big Ten champ, but if they had won it, it would kind of feel stolen a bit. Oh, Iowa certainly, yeah. Um, I mean they were otherworldly at generating turnovers for the first you know six or so weeks of the season and then once regression to the mean happened the offense was the same as it's been all year yep it got a little ugly um i mean credit to kirk ferentz that program this is what they do every year they find a way to win eight to ten games every regular season regardless of the team construction um but yeah, this is uh they just ran into a Michigan team that is playing their best football right now. Um yeah. and they're just winning the battle in the trenches every single play. Um so it's a it's a tough ask for for any defense going against them right now, but uh they'll be going up against a pretty good one in the playoffs. So remains to be seen how that'll go. Oregon is one of the best teams in the country when they are not playing Utah. When they do play Utah, they get absolutely smoked. Um, Second time in three games, there was uh, maybe you might have thought Oregon was taking it easy the first time um, to to get some intel for a Pac-12 championship matchup they knew was coming. Not the case. Utah up 23-0 at halftime and just cruised in this one. and uh, yeah, I mean, like a lot of the losing teams, very disappointing end of the season for Oregon. Um, just really, really sputtering down the stretch. But Utah in two games is no let up. Absolutely dominated Oregon both times and very clearly deserving of winning the conference championship. Yeah, really good defense, um, opportunistic, a lot of turnovers in this game. And Utah even turned it over quite a bit, but their defense was able to hold strong. Um and that was the difference in this game is 
points off of turnovers or at least being able to take advantage of field position. I feel like Oregon had a lot of chances to get into the game or even stay in the game, and they just never took advantage. Every single time it seemed to end in a punt or a turnover of their own where, uh, you know, they could have and should have done more. And the, the field goal to start the second half was kind of a weird move to me because it was only a 42-yarder. So they're basically in the red zone, down three scores, and they're going to kick a field goal to keep it a three-score game. So I don't really understand that move, and but I guess maybe psychologically just get some points on the board, help your team believe, but then it goes exactly the opposite way four minutes later and uh, Utah scores and basically puts the game to bed if it wasn't already. Yeah, just a uh, crazy year for Utah. You could see the emotion after the win, um, you know, suffering deaths of of two teammates, Ty Jordan and Aaron Lowe, um, being able to overcome that um, and and win the the title. You can see how much it meant to uh, the coaching staff, all the players, and of course, uh, you know, Lowe's family was there as well. But um, I mean, now now Utah gets the the program's first Rose Bowl bid after all that. Um, yeah. Charlie Brewer leaving a couple of games into the season as well. Cam Rising coming in and uh, and playing extremely well. So a lot going against Utah this year, but they were able to to overcome it all. And uh, yeah, this is this was very much not a fluke. This is a, a team that was very very clearly better than Oregon and just dominated them practically back to back. So right, very rare to see something like that, but uh, definitely left no doubt. Yeah, and you know what? I'll I'll pat myself on the back for picking Utah, and then I'll quietly say, but I picked them as my sleeper team in the Pac-12 preseason, and then I'll quietly say, because of Charlie Brewer, and we can nix that part so no one recognizes uh, why I made the choice and just stick with, wow, that was such a great preseason pick. Yeah, well, uh, we can we can cut it off after great preseason pick. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how we yeah. got there, but we got here. Yep. The surprise of the day, um, Alabama, Georgia, Georgia had not allowed anyone to score more than 17 points on them all season. Shout out Rocky Top. Alabama comes in, scores 41, wins this one comfortably. Um, I mean, it's it's rare, but when we seem to back Nick Saban and Alabama in the in a corner, they uh, they come out and make us feel very foolish. Yeah. Um, it, it feels like the same, you know, it feels like Groundhog Day. Uh, time and time again, we see this script where Georgia, Georgia looks good. They, they look like a real contender, real competitor. And then they play a non-competitive, well, I wouldn't say non-competitive, but they play a game in which Alabama kind of turns it on and, and really shows you how good they are and how capable they are. And then you wonder, does Georgia have a next gear like that? And that is exactly where I think we're all sitting at this point, waiting to see if Georgia can take it to a next level or if this is as good as it gets. Yeah, and that, that was kind of the concern with Georgia. You you didn't think you would find a team that was able to put up points on Georgia, but if you got into one of those games, does Georgia have the offense to keep up? I think the answer is is no to that, but... I think Bryce Young definitely did a lot to help his Heisman candidacy here, setting SEC championship game records for passing yards and uh, total yards, 421, 461, respectively. Um, was able to use his mobility to 
elude Georgia um, as so many have failed to do this season. And yep. yeah, I mean, again, Alabama leading up to the playoff, peaking at the right time. Water is wet. One of those things. Exactly. So we do have our, our playoff for uh, Alabama is the one they jumped Michigan. They get Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. Michigan, Georgia in the Orange Bowl is the 2-3. Um, you don't have to make predictions right now, but just looking at the field, how everything shook out, what's what's kind of your, your initial thoughts or takeaway? Thank God Cincinnati is in. <laughs> That's it. That's the only thought I really have. Um, they deserve to be in. And uh, I'm glad we don't have to go on the diatribe again of why an undefeated team should be allowed in the playoff because that sentence alone should never exist. But we've had to do it before. Now we now we don't have to worry about it. I I am still a little worried though uh, because there have been many like arguing with people like us um, or like hypothetical people. I mean like. Uh, you guys were wrong. You know, a group of five team can get in the playoff, but I think that's conveniently ignoring everything that happened that led us to this point. Um, you know, Cincinnati was still the fourth team. They're still the last one allowed in. Um, you know, even with Georgia's resume looking a whole heck of a lot worse after getting beat down um, by Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I do think if if Oklahoma State wins the Big 12 with one yep. loss, there's a great chance they hop Cincinnati there. Uh, Cincinnati was fortunate enough, every Power 5 team outside of the three ahead of them had two losses. And Notre Dame, who is number five, they happened to play and beat on the road. Um, so that that's the only reason they, they got in. Like This was arguably the craziest college football season um, since 2007, minus you know some of the familiar faces at the top, but right. I mean, everyone's taking multiple losses. Everything had to go exactly Cincinnati's way, and they were still the last team in the field. Um, and they get to play Alabama um, in a game that no one is going to give them a chance in. And if they lose, we'll use it as evidence that they shouldn't have gotten in in the first place. So right. I don't really see this as a a win, as as some are kind of knowing it to be, I think playoff expansion still needs to happen uh, because, you know, Cincinnati is a team that should have been easily into the field and still were, you know, that was still very much in doubt. Yeah. I don't disagree with that point at all. And, and like you said, and like we talked about before, an Oklahoma state win really muddies the waters there because I'm not confident that they would have put Cincinnati in over, or excuse me, Oklahoma state. So I'm just, I guess I'm glad we got here, but I know the roundabout paths that we had to take to get here as well. And I'm happy to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, but they're in hopefully that the, uh, the Bearcats at least show up. Um, but seriously, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, all right. So regular season wrapped up. We have our Heisman finalists. There are four of them. Um, three quarterbacks and then one token other position. So I feel like it's usually something of that nature, but we've got guys we've talked about already, Kenny Pickett, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, and then Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, 14 sacks, couple of forced fumbles on the year. No Kenneth Walker. 
is is probably the most surprising part here. Um, but as we've said all season, it was going to be an uphill battle for a non-quarterback to win the Heisman in the first place. And I think really just having one non-standout game as he did against Ohio State is enough for the voters to just kind of push him aside entirely. Yeah, it uh, it, it is annoying how it comes down to you, seemingly, like you said, um, quarterbacks and then a token position player. And I guess we say this with the reigning Heisman champion being a wide receiver, Heisman winner being a wide receiver. Very much the exception. But very, yeah, very much the exception. Um, I I feel like this is a foregone conclusion. Who's going to win? Uh, and I feel like it's almost a formality. It's just a formality at this point to invite other people so they can get the experience. I would like to say it's a two dollar two horse race, but I I think it's pretty safely Bryce Young's trophy right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I I think again uh, the. Performance against Georgia really put him over the top. Uh, I think Kenny Pickett's got no shot here uh, just because he plays for Pitt. Like, I, yeah. I think it's as simple as that. His numbers have been phenomenal all year. He's been playing extremely well, but I, I don't think he's going to win it over Alabama or an Ohio State quarterback. And Aiden Hutchinson, thanks for coming out. Um, but right. I think it's at most a. Uh, a two-horse race, because um, I, I mean, you could really make the argument too that Will Anderson, to Alabama, has had a, a better season for a defensive player than Aiden Hutchinson. Um, right. I'm not here to make that argument. I am just repeating what the numbers show me, and also what others have said. So, things to consider. Um, Take that just, as you will. We can just say Kenneth Walker got fifth. Um, or at least guess. I don't know. We'll, right. we'll find out when they release the full voting results. Um, all right. So we had a wild coaching carousel update last show. It did not really get any tamer um, since last we spoke. We had a uh, couple, couple very big jobs get filled last time um, as we were recording LSU hired Brian Kelly. So Notre Dame, Oklahoma were two of the big jobs. Uh, both of those have been filled. First up Notre Dame, everyone except Brian Kelly stayed at Notre Dame pretty much. Um, Brian Pauline being the one exception uh, earlier today, but Marcus Freeman promoted from defensive coordinator to head coach. Uh, first time head coach is a 35 year old. Um, saying all the right things, winning the press conferences, and will get to make his debut, as he alluded to, in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. So uh, seems to have the team behind him. Um, so I think if you're Notre Dame, certainly from a PR standpoint, this is about as well as the situation could have turned out after your coach just kind of turned and ran before you knew what your playoff fate was. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all things considered, you couldn't. Not you couldn't have done better, but this is about as good as you can expect. Uh, young, energetic, really good recruiter, defensive-minded. I think these are all things that Notre Dame needs. And keeping a lot of continuity on that coaching staff is huge because they obviously have been successful over these past four or five seasons. And keeping that group together as much of it as they possibly can is, is a big win. So... He's already off to a strong start. I am very much interested in seeing how recruiting shapes up. 
for Notre Dame this year and uh, next year. I don't know that there's much time for him to really do do things this uh, this recruiting period is signing days in I think two months, but this should be a lot more uh, energetic and a co- energetic and competitive Notre Dame recruiting staff going out than maybe under Brian Kelly because he just I I think the charisma levels are just polar opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. That's for sure. And, and everywhere Freeman's been, he's been lauded as a, an exceptional recruiter. Um, you've had a lot of former players coming out of the woodwork, even ones that didn't end up playing for him, but just kind of speaking to his character um, and how just engaging he is on the road. And yeah, just right away, getting on a private jet with Tommy Rees, going back out to, uh, to hit the recruiting trail. And I think being at a place like Notre Dame, it's it's hard to have a proverbial chip on your shoulder, but that, that's kind of something that was provided to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there there are like for all of the people that are lauding the hire and uh, you know being being locked in behind Marcus Freeman, there's still a lot of people who are you know criticizing hiring someone with no head coaching experience. Um, you know, as if that has never worked out before. Um, but that's that's kind of the uh, the vocal minority um, saying some of that, so that's that's easy for um, Freeman and Reese and everyone else to kind of be motivated by that by Kelly leaving in the middle of the night, and uh, I mean being motivated to get Notre Dame past what Kelly was able to do and, and really why he left. Um, I mean, I, I think Freeman was able to get out ahead of that immediately in his. Uh, in his opening press conference. Um, so now we'll just see what happens on the field. Yeah. And he did not fake an Indiana accent, which was also a big plus. <laughs> no. Um, fortunately, South Bend is also nowhere near the, the south, southern yes. part of the state. So that helps. Uh, Oklahoma also has their man, uh, Brett Venables, comes home. Uh, he is another guy that has had his fair share of opportunities over the years. Um, but, you know, was sticking at, uh, at Clemson year after year um, since 2012. And then goes back to Oklahoma where he had worked previously, um, played at Kansas State. So he's a big 12 guy at heart um, and a big opportunity. And it's pretty much the polar opposite of Lincoln Riley. Um, um, yeah. young offensive guy to more grizzled defensive guy. Um, so I think it'll be very interesting keeping an eye on what Oklahoma football turns into. Um, I think this uh, we could be seeing a little bit of a shift in the Big 12 with a defensive focus. So the two best teams this year play defense extremely well. I don't know. Could be breaking down some stereotypes here. Yeah, I uh, I think it's – I like the hire. I think it's a great move in terms of changing. Like, it's worked to an extent what Oklahoma has done the past decade and a half of high-powered, fast-moving offenses. But when they get into those big games, into the playoff, they simply can't compete with these other teams. Now, I think with the SEC move on the horizon, like – Steering into a defensive style of football is exactly what they need to at least try and keep up 
in in regards to that because presumably I don't I don't know if they've announced like the the shift in the the conference, but you're going to be in the SEC West out in Oklahoma because that's how geography works, and like that is going to be a massively difficult conference still uh, or division, excuse me, and defense really reigns supreme over there. Obviously, we've seen Alabama turn more offensive-minded. We've got Lane Kiffin as well. But if you can slow these these high-powered offenses down, you've got a good chance to win these games. Yeah, I mean, almost a little bit like SEC in the Big 12 or ships passing in the night because, yeah, we are seeing a little bit of offensive resurgence. you got Mike Leach at uh, Mississippi State too. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot, a lot of teams that like to, to air it out, and it's going to be – a big time challenge for Venables um, once Oklahoma transitions over. Definitely going to be a much bigger uh, challenge than coaching in the ACC. Although, of course, Clemson has won uh, national championships and has battled the likes of Alabama, Ohio State, uh, and national powers. But to do that week in and week out is is a very different ask. Um, so, one of the best names they could have gotten um, now. Again, we'll have to we'll have to see if it works out. I think one of the crazier stories um, to happen in a while um, happened at the U, with Manny Diaz still being employed. The university, even without really having an athletic director, openly courting Mario Cristobal to come home from Oregon. Um, I guess luckily for them, they were able to get him uh, with with blood money, basically, um, and didn't have to go back and have an even more awkward conversation with Manny Diaz. Um, already awkward enough, like, right? Yeah, we we got this guy, so you can leave. Um, Would have been worse to be like, yeah, we we couldn't get Mario, so if you want to keep coaching here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Go for it. Um, but Diaz is out. Cristobal is in. Um, probably going to be bringing more uh, you people back to the program. Um, but, yeah, very very unceremonious exit for Manny Diaz, who, in fairness, came to uh, the program as a, after a, a long stint at Temple in uh, kind of crazy circumstances, too. Um, but just a, a weird, weird way for that era to end in the Mario Cristobal one to start. Yeah, I think Miami needed fresh blood, but they certainly did not need to go about it this way. Additionally, I don't know that Cristobal is the guy. Like, I, he, he feels like the Scott Drew joke. I don't know if he's a good coach or not. Like, his teams succeed. Oregon has been successful. But how, like, how good are they? Do they compete on a national level? Do they compete where, um, you know, Miami wants to be competing and, and thinks they should be? I don't know. I, I don't. I'm, I'm not confident in his abilities, and I'm not confident that this is like. I think I think it's a good fit. Obviously, he, he's a Miami guy, but I I struggle to see how this makes them that much better than what we've seen in the past few years since basically since Mark Rick left. Um, so 
yes, it helps the ACC stinks. The Pac-12 obviously wasn't that great either, but the ACC is, I would say, the worst of the Power Five pretty easily. Um, so it's winnable. He's got he's got a pathway there. But again, I just I just struggled to see how this is like the home run higher, the the top of the top that Miami could get. Yeah, it's definitely a step up um, just because I think Manny Diaz was really, really struggling. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's still like he he had a, a very, very rough start at, at FIU. So, I mean, as a head coach, he's only two games over 500. But basically he had three full seasons at Oregon, nine and four, 12 and two, 10 and three this year. But when his teams are, are losing, they – look very bad um it's kind of was was the case this year um in stanford against utah twice i mean he's it's an improvement over manny diaz does he elevate them to the level of clemson most years i don't really think so um but there there's certainly opportunity the acc is not the most competitive conference like and we had pitt and wake forest playing for the conference title take nothing away from those programs but not what you think of when you think of college football royalty. Um, right. You know, disappointing season for for Mac Brown at North Carolina. Um, they'll they'll probably be gearing back up. But I mean, really, really, the only established brand at this point is Clemson. Florida State is just a, a shell of what it was under Bobby Bowden, and and really, just basically going back to what they were before he stepped on campus. Um, so there's an opportunity for Miami to step forward. Uh, but that's kind of something that we said when Mark Rick came to town um, and was never quite able to get over the hump. We'll see if Cristobal does. Um, but I think kind of the, the controversy with which he came to the program is uh, I think it'll, it'll take a little bit to shake that off. Um, Cause it's, I mean, it's just all in all, very, very mishandled by the school, even if they, can claim they got their guy. Right. Right. Uh, and then the, I mean, not really a headline grabbing higher. Well, a couple more, really. Uh, I was interested to see Joe Moorhead took the Akron job. Um, Cause I, I thought there was a non-zero chance there. Um, he, he got out a little ahead of uh, Cristobal, but I, I thought there might've been a non-zero chance there that he gets, the same treatment as Cristobal and just gets promoted from offensive coordinator to head coach. Mm -hmm. um, but instead takes one of the worst FBS head coaching jobs um, in the country. Uh, it's a little bit of a head scratcher for me. thought he could have gotten pretty much any offensive coordinator job he wanted or a slightly better head coaching job, but that's where Joe Moorhead would be. Uh, I guess Mac defenses take notice and, and be afraid, but Akron is horrendous. Um, so that that seems like a questionable career move. Um, but takes him out of the running for the Oregon job. We'll kind of see who uh, Oregon decides to throw all the Mikey, Nike money at. But I have a hunch it is going to be just a crazy, crazy expensive contract uh for the next person they hire yeah no doubt about it um joe joe moorhead uh i guess really just wanted to get back in the head coaching gig i don't know maybe he loves the rust belt and the akron area but yeah i think 
I get it. Like his his style of play, or at least his offensive mindset, works in the MAC. So maybe he's thinking, I've been to these places. I can maybe recruit at a higher level, get a couple wins, get back in the good graces, and then jolt for a big job in a couple of years when all of this turnover happens again. Yeah, he. I mean, he is a Rust Belt guy through and through from Pittsburgh. Coached at Akron for better part of five seasons. Um, so com- coming home of sorts, um, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, that's I that that's kind of what's happening this time of year. I, I think emotion kind of comes first and logic takes a little bit of a backseat. Um, and then we kind of go back and, and find reasons to explain these things. Um, but right. Yeah, it's it's been wild. And and Virginia Tech hired somebody too. Uh Brent Pry, not gonna turn many heads, defensive coordinator from Penn State, certainly not a headline grabber like anyone else we've talked about, but uh, I think the motivation probably is is getting more defensive focused and more of uh, an established guy who's been around a while um, rather than the hot name on the block as Justin Fuente was. Um, that, that was kind of my biggest takeaway just seeing it. But again, like Miami, there's an opportunity for Virginia Tech to take its place at uh at the head of the table or close to it in the ACC, if they can get this higher right. Um, Fuente had some good moments, but couldn't find consistency. So I guess the, the expectation is that Pry is going to do that. Um, but I don't know. They'll just, they'll just have to get some consistent production uh, from the quarterback position. So I think offensive coordinator hire is going to be extremely important. Big time. I saw a tweet and I can't find it now comparing this hire to a young um, Frank Beamer, which is just absurd. But hey, you know what? If you want to get excited about a, a coaching hire, I'm not going to get in your way. You know what? We, we, have, we have no idea what it's going to turn into, but I think going defense first makes sense here for Virginia Tech. But like you said, um, puts so much more pressure on getting the offensive coach right. Yeah. yeah. We'll see what happens there. Um, yeah. Going through it right now because Indiana found a way to blow 22-point lead against Wisconsin and leaves for like the 20th straight time. But – Oh, boy. We soldier on. Um Let's let's talk some college basketball. Um, maybe maybe about some other games, but uh, it's it's been about a week and a half since we last spoke. Much has happened. Um, there there are a lot more losers for me than winners. Let's just say that. But we start mm-hmm. with winners, and um, I, I think one of the teams we we definitely have to start with uh, would be the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yep. Um, one of the teams that when they're clicking offensively. They look as good as anyone in the country. We're able to hit 13 threes and, and knock off Gonzaga. And uh, I mean, there, there is a reason that both of us picked them to win the SEC. They, their, their best is better than just about anybody's. Yeah. And, and we kind of saw that last year um, as well as that offense. I mean, it's high powered, it's fast paced, it's fun to watch, and it, it takes over games. They are, currently ninth in Ken Palm, 10th in offensive efficiency. They play damn good defense too. The biggest thing to me though, 
18th in adjusted tempo. They get up and down. And when they do that, and like you said, when they are hitting, you you can't beat it unless you play that style. And unless you're Auburn hitting threes, I don't know how many other teams really can play that kind of style, get up and down and play with them and, and score at that level. I think Arizona and Gonzaga may be the only other two teams that really play a similar style like that. But as we saw there, or in that game, um, when, like you said, when Alabama's hitting, even Gonzaga can't keep up. Yeah, and, you know, the the question with Alabama is going to be interior production, um, but you saw it not always going to be a deal breaker. Timmy got his, Holmgren got his for Gonzaga, but Alabama was able to win the battle on the perimeter, um, convincingly so. And I mean, even out-rebounded Gonzaga by one for the day, um, so really not even at a loss there. But, yeah, I, I think... Alabama and the SEC in general uh, turning a lot of heads early in the uh, college basketball season. Yeah, been a really good start for the SEC. Uh, another winner for me. Uh, I'm just going to go the the top of the Pac-12 because uh, I, I think you know coming into the season it was sort of UCLA, maybe Oregon and everybody else. Oregon has not shown up early. Arizona has been spectacular. USC has looked very strong so far, getting mm-hmm. uh, a few tough, hard-earned road wins. Um, and, you know, at, at the very least, the top of the conference looks um, like it has multiple contenders, especially, again, not named Oregon, uh, for the first time in in a bit. and. You know, if they're able to stay in the top 15 for much of the year, that will go a long way to elevating conference prestige and, and basically helping each other out, um, just helping improve uh, the tournament resumes of teams in the conference, uh, being able to play some high-level teams. So I, I think it's the first time in a while that can really see the Pac-12 really taking advantage of opportunities in the non-conference to just elevate the the top part of the conference yeah i i think the only the counterpoint to that is obviously the bottom of the league is really bad wait till my losers it's really bad um you but the the expectation has got to be utah's going to get it on track or excuse me oregon's going to get it on track like dana altman is too good a coach this team is too talented to to flounder like this it would be very USC of them to do that, to have all this talent and just suck all year long. Um, but I guess maybe we rip and rip and replace teams like USC will play the Oregon role and quietly be, you know, a team that's that's rolling. Granted, they beat Washington State on the road by two. But throughout the rest of the non-conference, they've looked really strong, like you said. And UCLA is UCLA. Like, we can expect those teams to play well. Arizona State has been a huge disappointment so far. They picked up a big win against Oregon on the road earlier uh, this past week. And I don't know. Like like you said, if we can get some of these middle teams to really pick it up, win the games you should in the Pac-12, and then be competitive against the top, I think they're not going to get many bids, but they can, and they can have uh, tournament-ready teams. Still banking on Washington State. To, to show me things um, outside of Arizona state. Yeah. Outside of holding Arizona state to 29 points um, came up just short against USC, who I mentioned is having a pretty good season so far. So no shame there, but 
it's another team I'm banking on making it to the tournament. Um, but long way to go. Who else do you have in terms of college basketball winners? I have Purdue. Number okay. one for the first time in school history. Uh, so kudos, credit to them. Well-earned. They've had a great start to the, the season. I guess it's not really a winner for this week. It's a winner for the early part of the year. Um, 8-0 with wins, as we've talked about before, over North Carolina, Villanova, Florida State, and Iowa now. Um, let's hope they blow out Rucker tonight as you're listening at the rack and we can uh, really, really have some fun with it. I feel like a lot of teams will this year. Um, Rutgers certainly does not look good, but yeah. Uh, for now, I, I try to limit how many shows in a row I say nice things about Purdue. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're the whole package. Like it's, it's just the, the combination of, of Ivy and, and all the sides inside Caleb first, Stefanovic on the perimeter. Uh, it's, it's a tough team to crack. Uh, and I mean, just, I, I think they really show that against what is always a tough team and program um, super athletic in Florida state. They just demolished in the ACC big 10 challenge. Um, yep. You know, a couple of big non-conference wins um, early in the season um, in their MT as well, capped off by knocking off a good Villanova team. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, there's a great chance here, um, especially if if they're able to to get through a somewhat tricky NC State team, but missing its best player, Manny Bates, um, yeah. could be undefeated for a while. Um, you know, just just looking at the schedule, the only thing that kind of jumps out at me right now, like would would be at home against Wisconsin just right. after the new year. After that, Michigan is not as as scary as that once was, and. Uh, yeah, it's wow. Actually, now that I'm looking at their full schedule, right? Geez, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the Big Ten did themselves no favors by stinking it up uh, for the most part in the non-conference. Purdue really being the the exception. Wisconsin a little bit as well uh, by mm -hmm. winning the Maui Invitational in Las Vegas. But yeah, it's uh, Purdue is the odds-on favorite at this point to win the Big Ten maybe win the national championship. Um, but I, I don't think that's quite as clear cut at this point, but right now yeah. they are playing the best basketball in the country. They are no doubt about it. I don't have any other winners. Uh, so if you, if you have I, more, I was going to give Ohio state a shout out for okay. the, uh, the win over Duke. Um, that did happen in the last week. Yeah. Outscoring the Blue Devils 14 to 1 in the final five minutes. A game that really looked like Duke was in control for a vast majority of it. Um, just could not make it happen down the, the stretch. Zed Key was awesome. Liddell was very good. 14 and 14 with six assists. Uh, that's a scary tandem. And I, I, I've seen them play against Seton Hall, and that was not fun. Um, but they've got a lot of different guys that can hurt you a lot of different ways. So while Ohio State, as we're recording this, is losing to Towson, I think they're going to be a dangerous team uh, throughout the year and in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a team that uh, is extremely dangerous, um, and I, I think they they have been pretty even keel with 
where they were expected to be in the preseason in terms of the national conversation. Um, stayed in the rankings. Tuple, a couple of tough losses um, to Xavier. Really no shame in that. So you've uh, seen Xavier has a pretty good resume to start the season and yeah. uh, a loss at the buzzer to Florida, who was playing very well at the time. That has since changed, but yes, it has. not really not really anything to get super upset about. And, you know, tacking on a win over newly crowned number one Duke, um, that's that's trending in the right direction. They're able to, to get a win in their first Big Ten game against Penn State as well. Um, yep. So things are trending in the right direction. Um, maybe the biggest challenger to Purdue at this point, um, because although Wisconsin is winning a lot of games, it's we, we may say this more years than not, but it seems very unsustainable. Um, but I, I think Ohio State has much more talent and uh, the ability to challenge Purdue at the top. But again, long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. It's they're, they're just a team to watch. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Throw, throw them in the team to watch category. I'll watch them. Um, yeah. Anybody else? That's it for winners. All right. Uh, I mean, we can start with Florida. We just talked about them, but they are one of uh, several losers. Um, you know, losing to Oklahoma in a vacuum, not the worst thing in the world, but following that up with one of the flattest performances I can remember against Texas Southern. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't like this was a, a game that Texas Southern was just able to steal at the end. Like this was complete and utter domination. Uh, ended up winning by 15, doubled up Florida on the boards, and it was after all of the progress early in the season, looking good offensively. Um, you know, big win over Ohio State amongst other teams. Back to the same sort of listless offensive sets and execution that, unfortunately, has become the norm. Um, in the Mike White era in Gainesville. Um, so very troubling to see that amount of backsliding uh, this early in the season. Yeah, really not ideal. I think, um, you know, T Texas Southern deserves a lot of credit just in general. I think we, we've talked about this a few times, but they are one of those schools that travels thousands upon thousands of miles to play these buy games at all these big schools um, because they need it to fund the athletic department. And it's crazy that it comes to that for a lot of these programs. But it's good to see when they can get wins like this because it makes the travel and the tough road life worth it, in, in my opinion, at least, because they get their moment uh, moment to shine there. So happy for them. Great win. They, they usually win one or two of these every few years. Uh, I know Oregon, they've beaten before. Um, they've picked up a few of these. But Really good win. And old friend Johnny Jones down there. So keep keeping an eye on him. Um, Florida, yeah, it's a tale of two weeks. Like, they they look so good feast week. And then they come out and do this against Oklahoma and Texas Southern. And it's like, where did the progression of the offense go? Where did the off-ball sets go? Because really, that that was the key for Florida's offense is, sure, the, like, they run a lot of high high ball action. But opening up their shooters and their playmakers uh, to, to get space without the ball was what Mike White had done superbly well or extremely well um, over that feast week. And he just, they have not been able to do it since. I'm not sure if it's been picked up on or what the deal is, but really got to go back to the drawing board and figure out how to get this offense humming because you have an all American or at least 
one of the top defensive bigs in the entire country in Castleton. Like you need to be able to build an offense around that. Yeah. It's just a lot, a lot of passing just to pass. Um, not a lot of guys looking to attack or um, right. any, anything going towards the basket basically. Um, so that's, that's not going to make life easy in the SEC as, as good as the league has looked in non-conference, um, you know, starting at Alabama and going on down. There's seven or eight very, very good teams, um, and they're going to give Florida nightmares if the Gators aren't able to figure it out offensively. Uh, it, it's been a slow start to the season as well for some of my preseason sleepers, most notably Maryland, um, who are – without a full-time head coach now. Um, Mark Turgeon just basically rage quit after uh, losing to Virginia Tech. His replacement, Danny Manning, who all-time job of failing upward. Um, yeah. He couldn't hack it at Wake Forest. All right, now you're the head coach at Maryland. Uh, won't extend past this season, barring something miraculous. But first came out, lose to Northwestern. Sky is falling in College Park. Um, I mean, it just extremely bad vibes all around. Yeah, they get, they got to get through this season. They got to figure out a way to to scrape scrape some wins. This is a decently talented roster. I I don't know that Danny Manning can get the best out of them because I don't know that he's ever gotten the best out of a roster. And that's no, no, that is blatant disrespect. But yeah, it's no, literally what that is. it's. <laughs> It's less an indictment of him and more so the circumstances that he is working in, I think, in this scenario. Um, so, yeah, I, I think game by game is how you got to play it. If you can scrape together a 500 record in the Big Ten, that would be disappointing if you're looking at it from two months ago. But now I think you you take that in a heartbeat if you're a Maryland fan. Yeah, it's uh, – and I mean, like – it's been building to this for several seasons. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was pretty abrupt ending, but I think Maryland fan base was, was growing pretty tired with Turgeon and, and kind of what his ceiling seemed to be. Um, just didn't really seem to matter how much talent was on the roster. There was always a way he found to underachieve. I think, you know, most obvious example, 2015, 2016, um, Rashid Suleiman comes over from Duke. He got Diamond Stone um, and still just cannot cannot challenge for a Big Ten title, cannot do anything nationally, um, right. and, and that was really par for the course. Um, but quitting on his team is not really a good look either um, for no. future employment prospects. So it uh, must be really bad if, he, if he's – Ejecting this early, um, but yeah, Mar Maryland looks completely lost at this point, and I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. His his parting comments really left it in a great spot for the next hire. Of he was worn down by by the job and the fan base. Yeah, well, I mean, they certainly weren't nice, but yeah, oh, like you're sure. just it's kind of saying the quiet part loud there, right? Um, yeah, that's it's a it's a stressful business. Yeah. Uh, who else you got? Let's let's get our old friends Memphis back on the line. Um, rough week, great week for CTC. Credit to him, huge win, uh, much needed, much much needed. I think 
I don't know that it does much in the long term, but for now at least it, it, it does not give some give some confidence. Maybe gets the team to play a little better uh, as they as they head into a gauntlet that is the SEC. Um, but loss there, really, Georgia's not a good team at all. Like you, you should not be losing that game if you are Memphis, and then they lose to Ole Miss by four, and all of a sudden uh, they have lost three straight to decently good teams. I. Ole Miss and Iowa State are the decently good teams. Georgia is not. Let's let me make that clear separation. But gone is the team that we saw beat up on St. Louis and a decently good Western Kentucky team and a talented Virginia Tech team. I don't I don't know what's happening here. The offense has really stalled out. Maybe it's just playing better defenses has has hurt them. But Penny has to coach, and I think that's as simple as it gets. Like. He has to coach, and if he can't do it, all he's doing is being a glorified like middleman to get these top prospects to the NBA. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss is still a bottom four team in the SEC um, yeah. for all their good qualities. And, yeah, like it just seems like everyone on Memphis is absolutely miserable and cannot stand playing with each other, uh, yeah. which is not good when you want to be a good basketball team. Um, it's, it's something that's – you know, the, the likes of Calipari and Coach K and a lot of these guys have gotten very good at, um, you know, bringing in a bunch of highly touted recruits, getting them to play well together. Um, and that involves getting a lot of guys to accept smaller roles than they would get at, much, at most schools, just given the overall talent on the roster. It seems mm-hmm. like Penny is really struggling with buy-in uh, from his players and has been for most of his tenure. It's like the recruiting rankings look amazing but there comes a point where you have to form a team and play games together and that's where memphis has just not been able to put it together um like there's an opportunity and they're you know they're they're still in the american they're outside the power six so you have games against power six opponents all presumably beatable um but This this just is is hurting their tournament resume. Um, you know, Virginia Tech was a great win, but you know, Iowa State just blew them off the court, and then two losses to bad SEC teams. Um, I can say w- with certainty, at least one of those teams will not make the tournament. Probably both, but Ole Miss still at least has an outside chance. Um, right. But yeah, it's uh, it's not looking great for Memphis. Um, I. I do not have a lot of confidence um, in them in the American right now, um, especially with how West Miller has Cincinnati looking in year one. Of course, Houston is going to be strong um, yep. under Kelvin Sampson, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's very concerning. Um, and this was part of what people's concerns were uh, with Penny Hardaway, um, you know, not not a ton of experience. Like he's got great connections with recruits. How's he going to be? You know, building a team, X's and O's, all that good stuff. Um, and this is kind of where we've been. Like really, the outlier is the NIT run. Like everything else yeah. has been pretty similar to this. Yeah, I, I think they're in big trouble in the American. I think SMU is pretty solid this year. Like you said, Cincinnati is is out punching their weight right now. Wichita has had a a decently good start to the year. UCF has quietly been good. Um, And then obviously you've got Houston at the top. So like there are 
some some quality teams in the American this year. I don't know. I don't necessarily know that Memphis is the best of them. Like they're certainly not better than Houston. I can say that very easily. I don't know that they're the best of that second tier. Yeah, and like most of those teams, very strong defensively. Wichita State, Cincinnati, of course, Houston. Um, so when Memphis's mo is just a lot of trying to take guys off the dribble, play one on one versus running any kind of sets, like right. Defenses are going to be licking their chops, um, and it's going to be very difficult for the Tigers to get anything going. Um, and I, at this time, I don't see any indication that they're going to figure that out. Um, got an opportunity against Murray State and then a massive game against Alabama, and mm-hmm. there is a non-zero chance that that turns out to be a blowout um, unless – Penny can get some buy-in with his players. Um, they're, they're talented enough to to play with anybody in the country. Like no reason yeah. they should be losing to the Georgias of the world. As much as I love CTC, um, but that's that's what happens. Like you you have to play together. Exactly, and that that I mean that was the concern I think for the longest time with the one and done coming back. And like you had mentioned, like some of these coaches have figured it out. Clearly, Penny has not. Yeah, it's it's not it's not easy. It's there's there's no. a little more to it than uh, than just rolling the ball out and <laughs> telling guys to play. Uh, right, go score. People, people always like to say about uh, Calipari. Um, all right, yeah, alluded to this earlier, but the bottom of the Pac-12 is yeah. just horrendous. Like. Oregon State is doing a phenomenal job of taking all of the momentum they built from last year's Elite Eight run and just lighting it on fire. They have no need for it. Um, like, good, good for Wayne Tinkle securing the bag, um, but this team is downright horrendous. And Oregon isn't there yet, but they are inching into d- more dangerous uh, territory. Washington is horrible. Cal is horrible and somehow not the worst, um, which is remarkable. Arizona State is out here putting up 29 points over an entire game. Um, And, I mean, last place finish in Atlantis and and just looking all kinds of discombobulated. Um, Stanford stinks. Yeah. And, like, relatively, I feel like Stanford is fine. But, like, yeah, they're not not good. um, No. But they're... They, they're not stinking out loud as some of these teams are. Um, so I, I think that's that's going to be a real, real struggle. Um, and certainly one of perception for the teams we talked about earlier, USC, UCLA, Arizona. Uh, I mean, all very good teams. And I, I think they've proven that in non-conference play when they're not playing Pac-12 teams. But I think, you know, if they keep on this trajectory, they keep having very gaudy records. A lot of people are going to point to you know, you've got four or five horrendous teams in your conference that you're playing against. Um, so right. my challenge to all of us is let's not do that. Um, <laughs> let's let's give them the Gonzaga treatment, provided they keep playing well and winning games. That's right. That's the uh, that's what this hinges on. Um, but yeah, it's from a PR standpoint, the bottom of the Pac-12 is not going to do the top half any favors. No, not at all. It's uh <laughs> Ugly is putting it nicely. I think the big winner so far this year is 
Uncle Mark because um, I yeah. thought absolutely no way he survives the season or, you know, gets fired immediately after. So far, Cal looks bad, but there, Less are, bad. there are worse teams in their own conference that you can point to. It's like, hey, at least I'm not that. Um, but mean, they should have beaten Seton Hall. Like very, very blunt, uh, bluntly, they should have beaten Seton Hall and really got unlucky at the end to not do it. Yeah. Um, well, playing playing Idaho State later tonight as we're recording this, so I'm going to keep an eye on. But like they beat Oregon State by double digits. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Mark Fox does not have an elite eight run from last year to fall back on, uh, <laughs> like some people do. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's rough out west. Like the West Coast Conference is the premier conference out there right now. Um, yeah, with with four bona fide tournament teams, but the top of the Pac-12 is pretty dang good, and I will I will try to remember that. Um, I I I forgot to mention another sleeper that has let me down: Notre Dame, uh, the Irish. Yeah. The Irish are, are really, really disappointing. That's another team that uh, the the veterans on the roster just have not progressed as we keep hoping them to year over year. And I was sucked into that uh, trapping in this preseason. Um, the defense has been awful. It's been worse than we expected, which is hard to do. Um, but just... Basically a four-game losing streak. They sandwiched a win over Chaminade in there, but a couple of very bad losses uh, to AM and to BC, uh, most recent ones, really yep. really turned a lot of heads and I gave the realization like we keep waiting for this class, this group to figure it out. Um, and it just does not seem like it's gonna happen. Um and I mean, this is a year two in which the ACC is egregiously bad, and I still have no confidence in Notre Dame making any sort of push because, again, can't even beat Boston College, who I think we can all agree is going to be one of the bottom feeders. But there are apparently a lot of teams fighting for that goal. Like Notre Dame is is going to be closer to there than the top um, at this yeah. rate. I. Th- uh, the BC loss was bad because they were really never in the game. It, it was over pretty early. Um, Paul Atkinson has been massively disappointing, like really not good. Um, Prentice Hub, like what is what is happening? He didn't score a point against Illinois. You just simply can't have that. The lone bright spot, I think, has to be Blake Wesley. But even so, like it's not nearly enough for this offense because they've got guys like Lashevsky can shoot it. Goodwin can shoot it. Cormac Ryan's like, okay enough to, to get things done. And then obviously Prentice hub is like, should be the guy on offense. And they simply can't get all these guys going at the same point. Someone's going to have a big night. Everyone else is not. And it's been killer all season long. Yeah. that like, they've got guys who can score. Um, but no one who really seems interested in defending it. And yeah, like it's, it's Prentice hub for me. That's, that's the disappointing part. We talked about Illinois guards really letting the team down and like, he should be the offensive leader of this team shooting under 30% from the floor. Um, and really just has looked out of sorts for most of the year. Like he cannot have a game where 
he's scoring like under six points, let alone zero points. Um, and even right. in that game, he's he's got to be facilitating as well. And it, it's just, it's not happening. Um, and I think this is several, at least a, a few seasons in a row of uh, some big time struggles from Mike Bray and kind of start to wonder what's, what the future holds if they're not able to to somewhat turn it around. Like it's it's a real glass half full, half empty thing. It's like the ACC is awful. There are opportunities for wins, but like, can you have confidence in this team? I, I don't really think so right now. And I think that begs the question though, not that we'd ever talk about a man losing his job, but is Notre Dame a good job in the college basketball world? I don't know. I mean, it's not as good as its football job, but yes, I I mean, I, I think the question is relative to what it's still an ACC job. Um, yeah, it's it's a better ACC job than, say, a Boston college. Um, right. There's a big rebuild, though. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, like taking over the roster. Yeah, like people wouldn't be the most thrilled there, but there's talent and that's why it's frustrating. Right. Um, there's there's a lot of talent here, and and really not seeing Prentice Hub develop year over year like a guy like Demetrius Jackson is. Uh, it's got to be pretty upsetting to the fan base um, because mm-hmm. he came in highly touted. You see flashes every so often, but he just, I mean, straight up has not been good this year. Yeah. Who else do you have as losers? My last one is BYU. Ugly loss to a an okay Utah Valley team. Um, really a game they should never have been close, especially if they want to be considered a top 15 team in the country, which I really was was all dependent upon that blowout win over a now we know not so very good yeah. Oregon team. So I I don't really know what to make of BYU right now because that game is, is causing issues. They they have played the aforementioned Texas Southern, so I guess they have a transitive win over Florida as well. But San Diego State was a decent win. They got a road win at Utah, which I think carries a little bit of weight, not a ton. But they've got Utah State as we're recording this. They'll be at Creighton. Really not much else until WCC play. So I don't know what I think of this team yet because Oregon seems like such a – meh win now yeah that that really that was the thing that put byu on the map nationally um Mm -hmm. it's like all right got a couple wins against you know non-power six tournament teams from last year but wow beating oregon in the state of oregon um 81 to 49 it's like wow okay let's pay attention now alex barcella this is uh it's Mm -hmm. pretty interesting um but yeah like this is this is still a, an at-large caliber team, certainly. Um, yeah. I think you know Utah is one of those middle of the pack sort of Washington State tier teams in the Pac-12. I think maybe could challenge for a tournament bid, um, but at least not awful. It, it's like the bar is so low in the Pac-12 for competence. Um, right. It's you you can talk yourself into that being a good win if they're able to hold on over Utah State. I think that's a really good win. Um, up by 12 just before the half. But again, Indiana has proved those leaves are not safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, I'm upset again. Uh, 
You talked but, yourself into it. Yeah, I did. Uh, but I mean, I I appreciate BYU playing the game. Um, going yeah. to Utah Valley, um, similar. I appreciate Virginia playing at James Madison. Um, For sure. These games, it does seem like the the big-time school loses a lot, um, although BYU, not quite the same. They're not in the Big 12 yet, but um, I, I think playing in hostile environments is important uh, for any team, and no. a lot of times Power 6 schools do not play in those um, unless they're sort of mandated. Um, like, right. you know, it's part of a conference challenge or, or something like that, but especially if you've got uh, you know, a younger team or a team with, you know, some new starters, guys in bigger roles for the first time, being able to to do that in the non-conference is going to pay off over the course of the season. Um, so right. Virginia, I would already leave for dead, but in terms of BYU um, going out and playing this game, I, I think it will help in the long run. You wish your team would have performed a lot better, had some kind of answer um, on the inside, but, you know, Chalk it up to to one bad performance. Don't let it become several. Um, and you know, Mark Pope's a good coach. I'm not not super worried about the Cougs. Yeah, and if if nothing else, like you said, the experience helps. Like it carries throughout the season. They're going to be playing in some tough places in the WCC this year. Yeah, um, we've got it. Like the the Creighton one will be another interesting one away from home. Not not on campus at Creighton, uh, but still in yeah. Creighton's neck of the woods at the Pentagon. So uh, that'll be an interesting one. But yeah, I mean, BYU gets one of those, but that's that's really it for the non-conference if you want to be um, an at-large team from the WCC and you're not Gonzaga. Um, right. So we'll see. We'll see how they continue to play. Um, I mean, obligatory mention again of Virginia. They are just woof. Yeah, um, they're not good. Thought Tony might be able to figure it out, but it's it's just Gardner, um, and that's and they that's needed a much player better. to beat Pitt too. Yeah, seriously, that was I mean that was a crazy ending. Um, would hate to be a Pitt fan and be watching that, but uh, yeah, like Armand Franklin has just not been good, and he yeah. was brought over solely to kind of fill that void of a perimeter score. Um, and he, he's basically had the green light, um, shooting and great guy loved him at Indiana, but he is just, he's not been that at all. Like guards Gardner has been the whole offense. Um, I mean, Franklin is a gunner and he's shooting 20% from three, like as a team already as spread thin offensively as Virginia is like, that's, that's super, super frustrating. Um, and thought if anyone could figure it out, it might be Tony Bennett. Again, maybe ACC play will help, but like Notre Dame, they played a very bad team in Pitt. It was, I mean, pretty lucky for them to get out of there with a win. So I, th- this is not a tournament team. I There's really not many you can point to in the ACC right now, but Virginia yeah. certainly isn't one of them. I would agree. I uh, they just their style of play is coming to hurt them at this point. Yeah. Um, although it makes a little more sense playing it now when yes. you're at a 
talent's disadvantage uh, right. most games. But yeah, it's uh it's ugly and I don't care for it. Just wanna get on the record as saying that. All right. Um that is it for us this week. Um we will have a little time off, presumably, uh, from college football before bowl season really gets underway. And that means it's it's pretty much all college basketball all the time. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at BFoxBFrankShow. Uh, BFrank's been cooking in the lab once again, uh, some pertinent graphics. We will keep some commentary going uh, throughout the season. And we will see you here for this show next week.